Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. And as always, I want to start off with the quote by Albert Einstein, which is the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Change is happening at all times, all around us and within us. No matter what we do, we're going to be changing. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do to our bodies that can slow down change or make change happen in a different direction. But there's going to be change happening to us no matter what we do. If we take a proactive approach to change, or if we take a completely hands-off, passive approach to change, and even if we think we're wise for being passive and inactive to it, as if everything should be in the hands of fate or something else out there, it's just not going to make that type of effect that most people think. It's not about surrendering and giving up in that sense. When we know that we have agency and we know we have the conscious responsibility of making great change within ourselves and leading to the change outside of ourselves. Now, another quote I want to talk about is the really, really sappy quote that it sounds like at first, which is by the Dalai Lama, which is the purpose of our lives is to be happy. Because... To me, that's not sappy because the purpose of our lives is definitely not to be miserable. The purpose of our lives is not to wake up in the morning dreading what's going to happen during the day, you know, having a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning. That, to me, is not what the point of life is, nor is the point of life to be working for somebody else's business for 40, 50, 60 years and then have a quote-unquote retirement. Because if you have a job, a J-O-B, you're working for somebody else's business. You have decided to sacrifice your authority and your time to make money through someone else's business. You know, is the owner of that business in most situations the person that's working the same amount of hours a week as you are? Probably not. And I understand that there are some exceptions to that rule, but even if they're working the same amount of hours as you, they probably have a whole lot more flexibility, don't they, when they're the owner of the business? Now, of course, there's some risk involved in owning a business, isn't there? You have to make sure that you've got profit for your business. You've got to make sure your supplies are ordered, your employees are paid, your taxes are filed. Your advertising is effective. There's a lot more to the ins and outs of owning a business than just having a job. Because the job just means show up, work, get a paycheck, wait for the weekend. But the business requires a lot more involvement and there's more risk to it. Or really, is there more risk? Because when the business has a greater income stream and more opportunities to build wealth than an individual with just a job, 
are they really in a riskier position than the individual with the job? You know, what happens to the person with the job when they get laid off or fired? What does their income go to? We all know the answer to this question because the answer is zero. Their income goes to zero. And we're not going to count unemployment because no one wants to be weaning off of unemployment for an extended period of time, or at all, I would hope. But that's what I argue a riskier position because all of your eggs are in that single basket of a single earned income stream, which is the job. And that's not to get to an absurd position or argument that no one should have a job because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Every business out there that I'm aware of that has a substantial amount of profit is not run by a single person. And of course, we can go jump to the exception right off of that statement and say, well, what about a couple of those examples of online businesses? Okay, knock yourself out with the exceptions again, as I talk about. But do not base your rule on the exception. Because the rule is the massively successful businesses are employing many, many people. And part of my argument here is that everybody who's responsible with their finances is going to go through changes in their financial positioning. And change is extremely important, isn't it? And it's happening to you no matter what. So is somebody that's just graduated high school, for example, likely in a position to open up a full-blown business, financially speaking? You know, for the vast majority of people and even Americans, not really, not, not usually, very, very uncommon. Does it happen? Yes, but there's our exception again to this rule. And I'm not talking about the exceptions. I'm talking about the rule. So at that time, it's typically a great time for people to work for somebody else's business. You know, if you want to learn how to open a business, what's the best way to do that? By working hands-on in somebody else's. Let's say someone wants to be a professional carpenter, professional woodworker. They want to start a business. That's part of their goal. So they can go work for a carpenter, learn under the carpenter, and get paid to do so. And for some reason, in today's society, today, we're going to look down upon the people that are working hands-on and getting experience straight out of high school and have no question or eyebrows raised whatsoever to the people that are going to a college and paying other people to get education and then have to pay off that debt once they're done. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me once I started thinking about it. Because this whole plan for most people seems to be flipped upside down. Why in the world would you choose an opportunity that has to take away your money rather than an opportunity that gives you the same education, probably more hands-on, and pays you at the same time? And that's, of course, what some people would say is a blue-collar type of job, and I understand that. But what about all of these other examples that aren't, quote-unquote, blue-collar jobs, as if that's something to be looked down upon, which is completely ridiculous. 
there's all sorts of quote-unquote white-collar jobs that people could get involved with outside of high school that they want to be a part of. Somebody who maybe want to get involved in the legal system. There are jobs that you can get in that. But I say if you want to be a lawyer, you're definitely going to have to go to school. If you want to be a doctor, you're definitely going to have to go to school. But for the vast majority of people who probably aren't going to go down the paths that explicitly require a degree, probably better off not doing the traditional American strategy of going to college and get a bunch of debt, but instead jumping straight into the workforce and building up money and real world experience. Once we get back, folks, we're going to start getting into Tony Robbins day two, continuing on with day two. I'll be right back. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. If you have money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the TWA Radio Show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. So let's go ahead and jump into the continuing day two of Tony Robbins. You know, we really just finished up with day one, so now we are getting into the second day out of four for this event. And as I keep emphasizing, if you give a crap about your life, you give a crap about making positive change, you need to take this class. You need to attend this event. It is available virtual. I mean, there's so much positive and motivational, as sticky as that word can get sometimes because it's almost used a little bit too generally, but there's a lot of good content out there, and I just really believe that Tony Robbins has all of this stuff in the most concise format, so I I really couldn't highly recommend this event enough if you want to have a ton of fun and really rewire your brain in a positive way that's more in line with the person that you know you want to be. So there's going to be some changes, but it's going to be the changes that you want and that you say you want. And above all, they're the changes that if you don't make, you're going to be wondering why you didn't sooner or later. So Tony Robbins has three steps to making change last through neuroassociative conditioning. And this is something that comes from his earlier days of work. I mean, at this point, over 40 years of quote-unquote motivational speaking. And it's probably better to call it discipline teaching. And you may have heard a little bit of a difference and distinction made online um, because there's a subreddit on the website reddit that talks about get disciplined versus get motivated because there's two of them and the get motivated one shows pictures sort of like the hang in there cat whereas the discipline one typically talks about maintaining the actions on a daily basis that you need and shows a lot of tips lots of quote-unquote tricks that people use to stay focused and stop getting distracted by the instantaneous gratification monkey every step of the way. And I was talking with one of my friends yesterday about this because being 
a very intelligent person, I understand how his brain is working, as in he is a very intelligent person. And he just gets distracted a lot. You know, do you know anybody that you feel like is an extremely intelligent person? You feel like they understand things super, super quickly. They're the ones that have a fountain of knowledge about many things, but they just can't seem to stay on track with stuff. And I know that issue is pretty popularly known in kids in elementary school, but those kids that have that issue then typically are the same adults that have that issue now. So you have to make sure that you're associating in your brain positivity to the progression towards your final results. And if we really want to break this down to a more philosophical level, we're identifying the fact that change is happening no matter what. So if you don't want to be focused on the results per se, you need to at least identify that change is going to happen and you're going to want to have the changes happen to you that are the ones that you would like rather than the ones you're going to dislike. So that's really the progression that we're focusing on is making the changes that we want to make this life that we're a part of something that we find truly enjoyable because somehow, despite the fact that we were brought into this world not on our own choice, as far as we know, whatever you want to believe there, but we have choices as we develop and we have preferences. You know, if I'm a beer maker and my passion is making beer, which it is, you know, I'm not necessarily the guy that wants to be the carpenter. It's not something that gets me out of bed in the morning, the idea. I love looking at the artistry of people that sculpt wood and really are passionate about it, but that's not what I'm passionate about. And that doesn't mean I talk down to people that have that as their passion or discourage people from doing that. It just means it's not for me. Beer is my passion. One of my goals is to open a brewery. And what am I going to say when somebody says, oh, beer is gross. I hate beer. I don't want anything to do with beer. I could never open a brewery. I'm completely fine with that because clearly that's not your passion. That's why I'm me and you're you. So we've got these different passions, different patterns, different pleasure associations that cause us to do what we do. So to identify something you want to change in your life, change is happening, whether you like it or not, but what is a change that you would like to be in control of or have happen? What is a change that you would consider positive? Because we know what the difference is between positive and negative, don't we? We don't have to get into the Webster dictionary definition. The positive things are the things that you like, the things that you enjoy. The negative things are the stuff that you do not like and do not enjoy. So we're talking about the positive change that we want to make instead of being a victim of passive attitudes and inaction, and now we're facing changes that happen, whether we like it or not, and we didn't actually take action to make them go in a positive direction. So what do you want to change in your life? A behavior, an emotion, or a feeling? I think I like to boil my stuff down to the finest, to the smallest roots here because I talk about the feelings 
And when we talk about the Dalai Lama's quote, you know, happiness is a feeling. And I think happiness means something very different to a lot of people. But there's got to be a couple things that we can consistently agree on. But let's define happiness as the sensation of experiencing positive change and consistently achieving the positive change that we're looking for. Because it's hard for me to define it as something static. Like happiness is I have the fancy house or the fancy car, the perfect relationship. Because the relationship in particular is not going to stay static, is it? There are ups and downs in relationships. As primitive as a two-dimensional plane could be used to illustrate a relationship, a human relationship, you know, we're complex enough by ourselves. You're listening to a radio show like this because you want to have positive change, and that's challenging because you're in a human brain, aren't you? And the human brain sometimes is a little bit of a bear to work with, or a bull, or a monster. It can be very challenging. So that's why we're looking to improve and get better at managing the human brain. And then you throw another human brain into the mix. That's where things get very complicated. Or maybe it's actually really simple. But let's say, first off, that we need to get leverage over the thing that we want to change, the behaviors that we want. And the leverage comes from association. You end up associating positivity in such a degree with something that's important to you that you want to change that it becomes extremely difficult for you not to do it. If we talk about positive association with something that you're practicing, let's say, for example, this is something that I do recently because I'm practicing in a band now because I play guitar. Before I start playing, I drink one of my juice shots that I make. It's a ginger turmeric shot that I use because it's rich in antioxidants. And because I'm such a flavor fiend, having the association of this delicious juice before I practice allows me to double down on the positivity in my mind, the association. I mean, we talk about a positive association that our parents typically tried to do when we were kids, you know. If they wanted you to clean your room, what was it that they typically said? Clean your room and you'll get dessert. Clean your room and you'll get ice cream. Clean your room and you'll get an ice cream sandwich. You know, clearly that one might be a little risky because we don't want to have those unnecessary calories, especially as adults, because we know what happens. But if you've got something that you enjoy, you can associate it with something that feels a little more hard to do and discipline, but you know it's something that you want. So by associating this flavor of this juice that I make with the guitar practice, which sometimes I can be like, oh, my fingers are sore. The ends of my fingers, they get callous, and sometimes they can get a little cracked and uncomfortable, or my wrists sore from having to play so much. 
and even my head can get sore basically sometimes because it's a lot of work mentally at times. And then that discipline though, that discipline activity isn't necessarily something that produces short-term dopamine results like the instantaneous gratification monkeys activities. So that disciplined activity does not by default have the short-term pleasure chemical injection into our brain that keeps us doing it easily. The disciplined activities are disciplined because they're difficult and more challenging to do on a regular basis. And they end up being the ones, though, that get the long-term results. So that's just a small example. I mean, if you've got something else small that you can associate with a disciplined activity, that would definitely be a very helpful tool in your arsenal. If you talk about going to the gym, like I'm going to the gym today, it's actually been last week, previous week, I did not make it because, okay, here's excuse city, <laughs> but I had a different schedule up here at TWA and I've also had family events that prevented me from going out there in my usual schedule. So I made sure to work out at home, but I've missed the gym, excited to go back today after missing it for two weeks. But have a nice full meal of something that you enjoy after going to the gym and feed those gains. That's another positive way to associate going to the gym or drink a nice juice after. Something easy, something quick, something positive to get the monkey on your side with the discipline. We're at the halfway point, folks. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. We'll be right back with the TWA Radio Show. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome back. Halfway point of the TWA radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. Now, let me give you the stock update because I actually did not give you all a stock update last week. So we are now seeing, because last week, let me let me show you the numbers because so far they look pretty good. It was a plus 2.84% for Dow Jones, plus 7.93 for S&P 500, and plus 15.09 for NASDAQ. And as I have to emphasize, we still have a lot to catch up for from 2022. So that's still a negative 4.71 for Dow Jones, negative 8.11 for S&P 500, and a full negative 14.14 for NASDAQ. So today, though... We're already seeing our first negative returns for one of these indices. And it's pretty tiny, but it's still negative. The Dow Jones is sitting year to date from January 1st at negative 0.05%. So since January 1st, 2022, Dow Jones is at negative 7.6%. S&P 500 has gained 4.36%, so they're now at negative 1168 NASDAQ slowed down to 10.24 with negative 18.99. And I got to be honest because recently I've been looking at some stuff online for the conversation about what's going to happen with or without 
a recession in the near future. By near future, I mean this year or by next summer. I mean, for goodness sake, we've still not really seen a full-blown crash. And there was somebody that posted on Reddit that said, like, people need to face the fact that 2020 was the recession and the Fed achieved a soft landing and we're not going to see a proper recession for a very long time. And I started to think that maybe they had a little bit of a point and maybe this is all just a reflection of the fact that somehow we're not going to have a recession ever again. And I think based on the stuff that I've said before, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because we have to base our understanding on history. That's why we study history and we study patterns. And if we want to bet on an exception to the rule, we can certainly do that. Even though, even right now, in 2023, the stock market is still going down for at least one of these indices so far for the year to date. You know, we've seen a little bit of a rally over this past month and a half, not anywhere near enough to make up for the losses of 2022. And there just still hasn't been straight up a full-blown recession. And unless all of the rules of the economy as we now know it have suddenly changed completely and we're just going to continue having relatively high inflation forever because the stock market is going to be in high mode forever, I, I really don't see that happening. And I think as it continues to go on like this, in a pretty good way, this delusion gets stronger and stronger because that becomes our history. We see that since that relatively minor crash in 2020, because we do have to consider their point, when COVID first came around, there was a crash. And then within a couple of months... We had the largest stock market gains in human history. And the stock market hasn't been a lo- that, around that long, so that's kind of a overinflated statement. But there was a massive stock market rally, and corporate profits are at their highest ever in terms of raw numbers, in terms of percentage numbers, however you look at it. What they did after COVID for the companies that didn't shut down, and there were some, of course, but the ones that were able to consolidate that have become massively more profitable. Amazon is one of the biggest examples of that, as people had to stay home and their home delivery business for every single good imaginable exploded. And everybody buys from Amazon now. Almost everybody, I should say. But when you have something as radical as that change, and including in the housing market, when for some reason during what should have been a global recession from COVID, we had people getting cabin fever, I suppose, from being home and they wanted to move and they wanted to get a new house because grass is always greener on the other side, right? 
being sarcastic, of course. But it's kind of hard for me to explain why people decided they wanted to up and move and why they wanted to spend, I mean, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 above the asking price on houses. That, I mean, what is, sorry, but what's wrong with you to purchase a house with an asking price like that and you're going to bid ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars over and be okay with that. I mean, good lord, you need to get your head checked because that money should have been put into an asset that builds wealth for your family. Because the average family, including the average person, at all times that purchases a house, they're not invested in stuff like real estate. They don't have assets working in the background. Their income is their job, and that's it. So they're putting all of this money down on a house they can barely afford and pushing it even further to the point of unaffordability by overbidding on houses. Just to say that that house was the perfect one. I mean, come on. You can fix up a house and make it what you want. That doesn't mean you have to spend all that money up front to do the house like that. And maybe I am preaching to the choir here because many of you will understand this and will agree with me. Or maybe I'm preaching to the completely wrong crowd for some people who are never going to agree with that. And they want new, new, new. And they want to have everything ready for their house immediately and they don't care how much it's going to cost to spend. That's fine. Ultimately, the problem is when you don't have assets to back it up. When you're going into further debt and spending tens of thousands of dollars more of your family's money on a personal residence rather than assets that are producing wealth. I mean, those people are just as bad as the folks that go into further debt on their personal residence to do an upgrade. They go into the twenty dollars or $30,000 of debt to do an upgrade they can't afford out of pocket. That's a big issue to me because you should be spending your money out of pocket to do improvements on your house. Otherwise, that further debt doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You need to make sure that you're leveraging your money as much as possible on assets that produce wealth. You don't want to go into further debt on something that's not producing you wealth, like the personal residence. And as we make a very important distinction here, personal residence can build wealth as long as you're going to sell it at the right times and refinance it at the right times and leverage that money into the assets that actually make money. But yes, like it or not, no matter what some random person says on any website or what some talking head says on a radio show like this one or on a TV show on whatever, sta whatever station you like to get your propaganda from, there is going to be a recession. It's going to happen. And I don't know when it's going to happen but you better be ready for it when it does come. And you don't want to be like the people in 2008 and 9 who had nothing but stocks and watched as they lost 33% or 50%. Or, you know, just for a recent example, 
like the people with the NASDAQ majority stocks who lost 29.23% in 2022 and are sitting at negative 18.99 as of today. Negative returns don't pay your bills. It's not going to happen. You have to leverage your risk by getting an asset that builds wealth in a down market as well, which of course, as we put in our sales pitch here, is real estate. If you've got something else out there that builds wealth in the up and downs, we'd definitely love to hear about it and learn more about it because so far the number one is real estate. With Tony Robbins, and we're about to go to break, but we're going to be expanding on this at the final segment of the show. Number two with the three steps to lasting change and neuroassociative conditioning is interrupt or annihilate the pattern. Everybody is going to go down a path towards a negative behavior with a very negative outcome if they don't change course. Have you ever felt like you get your emotions out of control and you're just watching yourself lose your head? If you've been in that position, Tony is going to give you a couple tools during the UPW that I'm going to explain in my own words once we get back from this break. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, with the TWA Radio Show. We will be right back. an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final segment of today's TWA Wednesday radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. So we were just starting the second step to lasting change, and we're going to get through all three, if I can do this correctly today, and get through everything I need to get through. So number two is interrupt or annihilate the pattern. So I asked this question before we went to break, but have you ever felt out of control of your emotional state? You know, when I think about someone in an out-of-control emotional state, I see I think about someone who's about to get into a fight. I think about watching somebody who's had their ego bruised and that somebody said something or looked at them the wrong way and they start getting in that person's face and push comes to shove. It's like, what ultimately is there that's actually needing to be addressed? I mean, this is a pattern that's based on an ego assessment where tough guy thinks that other people aren't respecting him. And even though he thinks he's such a tough guy, well, apparently he's not tough enough of a guy to brush off a minor little comment or a minor little side eye. Because a real tough guy isn't going to give a single crap about tiny stuff like that. A real tough guy isn't going to care what other people think about him or whether other people think he's tough. But that's an ex- kind of a heavy example. I mean, what could be a pattern that we face? If we get angry at something, let's say you get mad at a computer you know, it doesn't load fast enough, you're trying to get to a web page, or you're trying to send an email and it seems stuck and you start to get into the pattern of getting frustrated. 
or your spouse or significant other says or does something that you don't like, like they leave a faucet on, or they leave the toilet seat up, or they don't fold the laundry fast enough, and there's a couple you had to put up, and then you start getting mad at them, you start feeling like you want to say something, and you know you don't yet have a kind and understanding statement to make. Have you ever been in a position like that where you say something anyway, you say something mean, and then you end up regretting it later? Or you have to apologize for what you said? These are times when we're on a pattern that brings us negativity. We have to interrupt or annihilate this pattern. And at the UPW event, I saw one of the best live examples of a pattern interruption. And there was a woman talking about a very hard growing up experience with her parents and specifically with her father. And it wasn't abusive, but it was neglectful. And she was starting to recount the details of that upbringing, how that neglect harmed her and made her feel very, very sad and bad today. And she was getting so upset. She was basically like her face was getting red. It was clear she was about to have an outburst of tears. It did not seem like she was about to be able to continue to speak. And then Tony just says, wait, 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 wait. Do you have gas right now? Like, are you, are you about to rip, you know, rip one? Are you about to fart? And it was just a funny joke because it got her laughing. It got the whole audience laughing because he was able to interrupt her pattern by using a humorous approach, by making a joke, some toilet humor, if you will. But it worked because she literally retracted got back on to telling the important parts of the story, not over-focusing on the emotional impact that it had. And she was able to have a very, very significant upgrade in her attitude that was very clear when they started, you know, panning the camera over to her, like literally the next day. I mean, she literally seemed like a completely different person. I mean... It was a very, very radical energy shift that we could see, even though I was on the complete opposite side of that conference room. I could see it through the TVs whenever they panned over to her. So let's say humor is an effective pattern interrupter. It's one of my favorite pattern interrupters. I love to make jokes. I love to make humor out of situations. And I don't have what I consider dark humor or that type of really, really heavy, morbid humor, but I am able to find something to be happy about or laugh about, even some in some of the grimmest situations. That allows your brain to get perspective because your brain is actively trying to encase whatever's in front of you in emotions. And it's not necessarily going to be the same emotions, is it? I mean, if something happens, let's say somehow the Houston Texans win the Super Bowl. I mean, 
that would be awesome for me because I love to support my city. I love to support my sports team, but I think anybody who watches sports knows that the Houston Texans have quite a ways to go. Great team, great coaching, but they've got a lot of work to do to get to that point. And they know it. That's why they work so hard. But if the Houston Texans win, everybody in Houston is going to be very, very happy. Again, almost everybody. But what about the team for the city that lost? Are they going to be happy? Obviously not. But what clear example could we have of the exact same thing happening with two completely opposite results? In the competitive sport world, the very, very clear distinction. But we know already that we can have different reactions. So if we can have completely different reactions then we know that there are ways that other people approach things that allow them to have a better emotional state. Because I would say the celebratory, happy, joyous state associated with winning in this context is a lot better than the down-and-out, depressive state of having your favorite team lose. You know, what if you could literally be just as happy that in this situation for your team losing as you were that your team won? Might sound ridiculous, but... There's really no explicit reason why. It's not set in stone that you have to feel depressed and sad if your team lost. Any more than it is that you have to be happy and joyous if your team won. But of course we want to take that opportunity to be happy. That's easy enough. But I don't think we're required to be unhappy and sad if something that we didn't necessarily look out for as an outcome have happened. So to interrupt or annihilate the pattern, humor is a big one. He even recommends that somebody take a deep breath and count to 10. I mean, you've probably heard that one before, but have you ever actually tried to do it? Have you ever actually literally done that? And guess what? If 10 seconds doesn't work, what do you got more of? Time. Make it 20 seconds if you know you're still mad. Make it 30. Make it a minute. Make it 10 minutes. Make it an hour. Make it a day if you have to. But when you know that you're going to say something stupid that you're going to have to make amends for later, keep your mouth closed. There's no rule that says you have to open your mouth and say something. Sometimes the best thing you can say is absolutely nothing and keep your mouth closed when you don't have something good to come out of it. So interrupt or annihilate the pattern. And let's wrap up with number three, create new empowering patterns and alternatives. If someone's going to get frustrated at a computer, you could say, look, I know this computer is working. I know it's just a little slow. I don't need to get mad at an inanimate object because that's going to look pretty silly if somebody else walks in the room. Nobody wants to be that office nutcase that starts raging at their computer screen. Or if you start getting upset about your significant other or your kid that doesn't do a chore, don't spring on yelling at this person. Take that minute, cool down, 
And if you have to say something, identify a healthy, constructive, positive way to convey the need that you have. Because yelling at your kid to clean their room doesn't typically cut it. But you have to show them how to do it, and you have to show them through example as well. Associate massive pain by not making change in this regard. Associate massive pleasure by doing positive change in this regard. It could be one of those little tricks that I talked about earlier. The juice, food, the maybe watching, giving yourself time to watch a show that you enjoy, play some video games, read a book that you enjoy, but find ways to reward yourself for the small victories and the victories will end up becoming greater in number. That's all I got for y'all today. My name is Trevor Davis at Total Wealth Academy. I'll see y'all next Wednesday. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate state investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.